Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. With a very special edition, Steven Sanderson has agreed to come in and talk to us a little bit about stuff that he's up to lately. I'm very excited to talk to him. Mm-hmm. But first, I want to talk to you, Richard. How are you? Well, you know, we've had a crazy uh, European spring conference run and go to back of the studio for a little while now. It's kind of, it's nice to do shows the old-fashioned way. And yep. of course, it's mixing up the publication order, but uh, we've got a lot of shows in the can. It's going to be a good summer. That's right. The last one we recorded is going to be online in the at the end of August or the beginning of August, right? Or end of August. Yeah. End of August. I was right there. We've done a lot of shows in the can, but we thought this was so topical, we wanted to squeak it in. Sure. So... I've been busy planning a festival, my first sort of conference on the ketogenic therapy to reverse diabetes and obesity and all that stuff, ketofest.com if you're interested. And let me tell you something, now I know, you know, why you swear when it's conference planning time. There are so many details. Yep. It's a very detail-oriented process, isn't it? It really is. But fortunately, I've got good tools to help me sort all that out and things are really coming together. So that's all I got. It's cool, man. Yeah, man, let's start uh, the show with Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, what do you got? What I got is a story. So Mm -hmm. I had this pop up on my Windows 10 machine yesterday. Now, this is being recorded June 27th. So Mm -hmm. on the 26th, I got this, like most people probably, hey, we want to upgrade your Windows 10 to the Creator's Edition. When's a good time to do that? So I said, how about, you know, two o'clock in the morning tomorrow? Right. And I won't be here. So I came in this morning and sure enough, I had a, you know, please wait a moment while we're, don't worry, all your files are intact and all those messages. You know what happens when you update Windows. And yeah. the first thing I saw was uh, a web page came up and this thing called Paint 3D. So I f- figured I'd take that for a spin. So my better know framework is... Paint 3D. And I'm just going to say it. It is probably the simplest, most fun app I've used on Windows Hmm. in a long, long time. It didn't take me any time to to just intuitively know what to do with it with a mouse, not even a pen. There's just a very sparse toolbar that has all of seven different tools on top and a few things like copy paste undo and and all of that that's go- that's just it across the top you have a canvas you can plunk down 3d shapes you can draw with a pen you can attach stickers to any of these shapes and when you click on these things you can rotate them up down sideways left right and of course z order so in just the way that it i just can't say enough about how I'm, how easy this app is and how much fun it is to use. Paint 3D. For a paint app. For a paint app. That's pretty funny. I'm used to Photoshop, you know? Right, I'm used right, to so yeah. many so many clicks and bells and whistles and not being able to find things. This is just elegant and simple and it powerful and it works. I'm very impressed. Awesome. Yeah. Who's talking to us, my friend? Grabbed a comment off show 1374, the one we did with Mr. Sanderson back in November of 2016, talking about JavaScript services. Got a lot of comments on the show, including yeah. a long conversation with a bunch of folks with Rob Eisenberg as well. But this particular comment popped out to me as a an interesting question, especially when you just talked about a few months ago. Mm. Why are all the project templates and samples I find for Visual Studio MVC and Angular 2 for .NET Core? Mm. Some of us don't care about it. We don't Mm. have any Docker or Linux interest and still prefer the full .NET and the full entity framework. We want to see full project templates, which work with MVC 5 and CS Proj projects. 
Also, Core seems to be in flux now. I hear the Core project's moving back to CS Proj. Makes things all the more confusing and feels like beta software. And in November of 2016, I think Tony was right. We They were going back to CS Proj, and it was kind of a beta yeah. title. It was actually the release candidates, although they were more like betas than anything else. And there's still uh, more bits to come. You know, I don't know that Core is really going to be what Core should be until the end of summer, September. Wow, so. yeah, then that's right. Yeah. I think it's going to be legit. But, uh, and I think Tony's concern, like, why are we fo- so focused on these new things on core is legit because they, they aren't uh, exactly equal. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, obviously, Tony, you know, the Microsoft folks who want to work on the latest bits and a lot of energy has been poured into core. So that's going to happen first. But, uh, you know, templates are coming along with the full framework as well. And we could talk to Mr. Sanderson about that. Yeah. And uh, and thank you for your your comment, because I think there's a lot of folks out there that are perfectly happy on the full framework and just want to make sure that everything's okay. Indeed. And so a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. They run in the browser. Shh. <laughs> Shh. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Let's find out. Steve Sanderson works as a developer on the ASP.NET team, sometimes building general MVC features, but mostly focusing on making it a great platform for JavaScript developers. Currently, he's shipping a set of ASP.NET project templates for Angular, React, Vue, and other SPA framework developers that add advanced functionality such as server-side, pre-rendering, and instant updates on code changes. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Sanderson. Thank you very much. Nice to be chatting to you again. Richard, I'm going to let you lead. Well, just a bit of a callback there to Tony's comment. Uh, I guess he was asking about JavaScript services. Mm-hmm. Is there any focus on making uh, a version or supporting the full framework there? That depends on what you mean by the full framework. Good question. I'm never quite sure what people mean when they say that, which I think probably speaks to the genius of our naming strategy on, yes. on that. So if what you mean is you want to run the current version of ASP.NET Core on .NET Full Framework and use JavaScript services templates. Yes, you can absolutely do that. That's been supported all along. So there's nothing to deliver for that. If you mean, are we going to backport the templates to ASP.NET 5? uh, No, we've got no plans to do that. Right. We are fully focused on the the current iteration of the product, which is ASP.NET Core. And like I said, that does run on both the .NET Core runtime and the full .NET Framework runtime. And I appreciate your thinking on that. You know, I don't going to say we take you for granted, sir, but, you know, every so often we have to remind ourselves, you're the guy behind Knockout. In a lot of ways, I feel like you started the single-page application movement mm-hmm. with that thing. Yeah. Well, that's a, a generous way of putting it. But at that particular time, around 2010, uh, frameworks were appearing pretty quickly. And Knockout was established early on as one of the dominant ones for sure. And I, th- I'm, I think we can certainly see the influence of that in some of the other frameworks. If you look at some of them, I perhaps don't need to say which one, but even if you just read their docs, you'll see that the exact examples they've got are directly copied from mm. the original <laughs> knockout docs. Like you, That sort of lineage is fairly evident. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say that the same stuff wouldn't have happened anyway, because yeah. tons of innovation of that sort was taking place around that time. I mean, it's, it is 2010. I mean, you literally, there's a Mix 11 video of you doing this. That's how long ago, the Mix conference. Well, and if, yeah. if anyone needs another reason to put the innovator tag on you, Mr. Sanderson, it's what you've been up to recently. <laughs> yeah, that we, was quite a talk you did at NDC, my friend. Like, uh, quite a kinda, bomb. 
Yeah, I've never seen David Fowler quite so stunned before. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have told him in advance. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I, I got to do probably my favorite demo that I've done in any conference talk so far, which was um, showing an example of how, by the power of WebAssembly, we could potentially get some .NET code running inside a browser, which is obviously a thing that's been done in various different ways over the years. There have been numerous attempts at that. Like There's been, obviously, Silverlight's the best known way of doing that. Yeah. There are other efforts like the Volta project and various open source projects like JSIL and, I suppose, Script Sharp, if you want to count that. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of times people have tried to bring C Sharp or .NET into the browser, um, but they've all, they all suffer from various limitations, whether that's because the abstraction's leaky or because the runtime's heavy or because it's not actually a cross-platform feature, requires a browser plugin like Silverlight did, or that right. kind of thing. All those challenges. But I think that WebAssembly emerging now changes that again and creates an entirely new type of opportunity. And it's definitely worth reconsidering whether anyone would want that in this modern day and age. Well, and apparently from the stunned reaction of the audience and and us and everybody else, they do. This isn't old stuff come back. This is something progressive and new and innovative. So the the elevator pitch is you've got .NET running in a browser without a plugin in, you know, using JavaScript, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So before we go on about that too much, we should probably warn people that this is experimental. This is not a shipping product. Uh, This is just a demonstration of the fact that it can be done end-to-end and it works surprisingly well. Performance is surprisingly good. The total binary size that you end up embedding in your page is remarkably small. Uh, It does all work. Yeah. So, I mean, I always thought of WebAssembly as really a tool for embedding C++ into to web pages. What did you embed with WebAssembly? Yeah, okay. So in order to make this work, I went looking for various ways of possibly getting .NET code right. running on WebAssembly. And I considered many different options. For example, you could try to compile your c source code directly to WebAssembly. You could try to uh, convert your C-sharp code to C++ and from there to assembly using the Inscripton tool chain. You could do what the Unity game dev system does, which is to compile your C-sharp to regular .NET assemblies, that's MSIL, and then from there convert that to C++ and then use Inscripton on that. There are all these various elaborate systems that you could use, again, with pros and cons. But I wasn't really happy with any of those kinds of approaches because if I was to think about what a web developer really expects out of their tooling, it's a lot more fluid than you would get with any of those sorts of systems. Web Mm -hmm. developers expect that they're going to edit some JavaScript, press save, and then press F5 in their browser, and it's just there. There's no expectation that you're going to wait for several minutes for some complex transpilation process to occur or to run an entire C++ build chain or anything like that. Right. Uh, There needs to be something much faster than that. So then I went looking for, well, could I actually get a .NET runtime into the browser? And I managed to find a third-party .NET runtime called .NET Anywhere, which has been around for years. It's basically been abandoned years ago. Um, It represents a sort of snapshot of what the .NET runtime world was in around the sort of .NET 2, .NET 3.5 kind of era. So Yeah, I found the project on GitHub. It's like six years since it was last really anything done to it. Wow. 
Yeah, yeah. The guy who built that has since been hired by Google, so I suppose he's not likely to be focusing on that again. But it turned out that that was more or less the exact missing piece that I needed because that runtime is written in a very simple C code, just using regular C function calls to do all its interrupt with the operating system. And it was really one evening's work just to get that to compile through mscripten, which is the tool chain that creates WebAssembly binaries. And so once I'd done that, it was possible to just get it to load and execute .NET assemblies, which eliminates all of the challenge around how do you get your application C-sharp code into WebAssembly, because you just don't have to. You just load the .NET assembly binary into this runtime, which itself is compiled to WebAssembly, and it runs it for you. Um, wow. So that means there's no extra compilation overhead compared with normally just compiling a .NET class library, which, as most listeners would probably realize, can take under a second for a sufficiently small thing, but it shouldn't be more than a few seconds, even for something of a fairly decent size. Mm. And and Inscripten is a C to JavaScript compiler, again, open source. Sort of, yeah. It's a, the It takes um, LLVM bytecode. Now, LLVM oh, okay. is a, an intermediate representation used by various different native build systems. So you could compile to LLVM bytecode from C or C++ mm-hmm. and maybe from Swift and Go and Rust and various other things that the whole Clang compiler toolchain supports. They all compile to this intermediate representation. And from there, you can then compile to various native architectures, whether that's x86 or ARM or other things. And Enscripten mm-hmm. specifically goes from the LLVM bytecode to WebAssembly or to ASM.js, where ASM.js is a particular subset of JavaScript that kind of gave rise to the whole idea of WebAssembly in the first place. Right. Yeah, I've always thought is ASM.js was getting very literal. This whole JavaScript is the assembly language of the internet. Hey, yeah. Thank you, Scott Hansman, yeah. for that. Yeah. Well, that's literally what it's meant to be. Yeah. What are the security ramifications of this? Well, if you are running WebAssembly code, you can not do anything different to what you can normally do with JavaScript. Okay. WebAssembly is... Well, how a browser chooses to implement it is up to the browser. But one way you can think of it is it's just a particular subset of JavaScript, but with a binary representation rather than a normal text source code. Right. So you can't do anything that regular JavaScript code couldn't do. But because it's this particular subset that the browser can uh, very rapidly do uh, verification that everything in there is safe and it can very rapidly convert it to native code for execution. It can be faster. It can certainly be faster to download because like I said, it's a binary representation of a byte sure. code. So it's smaller. Rather than a big, you know, UTF-8 text file. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it'll be smaller. It will uh, start up in the browser faster and it should actually run faster as well. If I read these specs correctly, you're just running in the same JavaScript parser that your browser has. There's nothing, no special WebAssembly support other than the idea that you could take this bytecode and just execute it into the parser without needing the interpreter first. That's sort of true. Yeah, that that is true. That would be a very simple way for a browser maker to implement WebAssembly mm-hmm. support. But what they probably want to do is also have a completely separate set of optimization code paths that take advantage of the various special things they know about WebAssembly to make it faster to load and execute. Sure. But I mean, I also appreciate the idea that this means you're running in the same sandbox. In theory, there should be no security differences between WebAssembly and JavaScript. 
There are not, no. So assembly, it is assembly, but not, it's, it's not assembly for the native machine code of your right. CPU. Yes. It's an assembly for the browser, which is interesting all by itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, it's more locked down than regular JavaScript because, for example, you can't interact with the DOM directly from WebAssembly. Hmm. You can't interact with arbitrary JavaScript APIs. All you can do directly is uh, send messages to your own JavaScript code, which can then from there access whatever DOM APIs or other JavaScript APIs you want to do. And that's, you know, wildly cool. Jeez. I mean, at the simplest level, this really represents you can now have compiled JavaScript for through WebAssembly, but the, obviously there's so much more and you're showing it. Yeah, yeah. So the, the so much more is the fact that you can come not from JavaScript, but some, from some other language. And I, I look forward really to a few years from now when web developers don't typically feel that the only possible type of language or runtime that they can use is JavaScript or right. a language that compiles to JavaScript. You know, there's no reason why a few years from now, people starting a new web project shouldn't be able to think, well, shall I write my client-side code in .NET or in Java or in Go or in Rust or in Swift yeah, right. or in, you know, functional languages or other specialist languages that have not even been invented yet. Right. I think that would be more healthy for the web enormously more so. Yeah, a diversity of languages rather than a monoculture of languages. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's funny because we started this conversation off with you've kind of reinvented bits of Silverlight here and Silverlight seemed mm -hmm. to go away as soon as the iPad said they weren't going to run plugins and and it was, you know, C-sharp XAML on the browser wasn't going to happen anymore. So is it possible now to run a C-sharp assembly on an iPad or an iPhone? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah, the other really cool thing about WebAssembly is the way that it can work on browsers that don't support WebAssembly, which sounds a bit <laughs> surprising. But um, because it is designed just as a, a particular subset of the things a normal JavaScript runtime can do, it's not crazily difficult to polyfill it. Or what actually happens in practice is that the mscript and toolchain can produce outputs from one source code. It can produce WebAssembly binaries, and it can also produce ASM.js text file. Hmm. And they are the same, you know, they have the same behavior and any browser can load and execute SMJS. It doesn't need any special support because it is just JavaScript. Right. So yeah, yeah it can work on any browser. Well, uh, Steve, guys, hang on just one second while we take a minute to pay the bills. This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud Platform. You may not know this, but the Google Cloud Platform supports Windows Server 2008, 2012, and 2016. It also supports SQL Server versions 2012, 2014, and 2016 standard web and enterprise editions with high availability. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine. That's Google's hosted Kubernetes environment. .NET and .NET Core libraries are there for all 200-plus Google.com and cloud services in NuGet, led by John Skeet of Stack Overflow fame. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. You get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And a great set of partners to bring your Windows and .NET workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. All right, you're listening to uh, .NET Rocks with Carl Franklin, myself, and Richard Camel. And Steve Sanderson is here telling us how he shook the world at NDC 
uh, Oslo a few weeks ago with uh, by running the .NET assemblies in the browser. And I got to ask, what was your demo that you did that uh, was so ooh-ah? What did you do for a demo? Oh, to demonstrate it, it was, it was pretty simple, to be honest with you. I just showed uh, an example of how a developer might be able to experience that. So starting from creating a file new project in Visual Studio, uh, being able to run an application, uh, uh, being able to see basic functionality that could be in there, like navigating between pages, rendering bits of markup based on uh, data and logic implemented in C Sharp, that yeah. sort of thing. Right. And then I did a the classic demo that everyone's always technically required to give whenever they show any sort of single page application thing, which is implementing an, a to-do list. Uh, yeah. everyone, everyone knows that one. Uh, so I did that. And it, so the application framework that I've been uh, put together just as an experiment is based around Razor. You know, the what yes. was originally the view engine for ASP.NET MVC and has more recently become a server-side framework in its own right with Razor pages. Mm. Uh, it's also an extremely good fit for client-side development as well because Razor pages can include HTML as well as C code. They can also have C-sharp code behind type thing if you want to do that, but that's entirely optional. And the tooling support is really good. Obviously, you get IntelliSense on your HTML and your C-sharp, and basically everything fits together in exactly the way you'd expect. And yeah. so to have a to-do list type application on that, you can very easily represent all that in about sort of 40 or so lines of code, mm. which includes both the markup that it's rendering and the logic and the definition of a class to, for a to-do item and the properties on that, mm. logic for counting uncompleted items with link and all that sort of thing, all all comes together in a very small amount of code. So it's a good fit. So what do you see as the, the sort of killer app for this kind of thing? I mean, uh, obviously Silverlight had UI and all of that stuff, but we don't really have that, do we? Well, Silverlight was an interesting idea. It included not just support for .NET language, but also it came with XAML, right, XAML right. being the, an entire UI system completely separate from HTML and CSS, its own layout, its own you know textiles model, it's all, all kinds of things completely separate mm. and isolated. Mm. Now, I don't think that anybody wants that no. today. Because when people complain about how difficult it is to write single-page applications, what they mean is, it's difficult to deal with all the frameworks and libraries and build systems and sure. making sense of how all the code is fitting together. Yeah. People are not really complaining about HTML or even CSS. I mean, some people complain about CSS right. a bit, but largely the web development world is pretty happy with using HTML for layout. Mm -hmm. So I would not want to try to replace that. And in fact, if you are using something like Razor, then you wouldn't because Razor is designed for letting you produce HTML. Right. So, yeah, I was demonstrating how we could combine HTML, CSS, and C Sharp to build an application rather than a sort of XAML-type model, right. which is a completely separate UI system. So you have some logic that maybe calls out to a service and does some things in the middle there, and it's already in a .NET assembly. Just plug it into yeah. button click. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, you just got the language running. There's no .NET framework here or any of those sort of things you would normally call. Well, in order to get even the most basic stuff working, you need a certain amount of core libraries for things like string and date time and list. And sure. uh, you even are going to need things like HTTP client, HTTP request, and things like that so that you can make AJAX requests 
AJAX calls. So there's a certain amount of core libraries that you require. And the DNA runtime that I was using came with quite a bit of that, although I did extend it in various ways to support more modern things like task so that you can have async away and and reflection, other things like that. Hmm. So yeah, a certain amount of core lib stuff is required, but I have not implemented the entirety of the .NET core libraries. No. And someone would need to in order for that to happen. It, it isn't just going to come for free. Right? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. So if, if someone was to build a real product like this, then I guess they would have to make some decisions around to what extent can you bring in the official core library assemblies from .NET Core or from .NET Framework and run those? Or do you have to write your own separate ones that are somehow optimized for compactness or something like that? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, sure, you would you would certainly need a much broader amount of base class library support than... Well, at least some of it anyway. Yeah, a lot of it is not applicable. For example, yeah. all the SQL client stuff, well, you're not going to be connecting to a SQL database directly from a browser, I hope. Well, at least, yeah, you shouldn't be. Let's, let's not encourage <laughs> that behavior. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all that kind of stuff, or being able to listen for TCP connections, there's no way you're going to make that work uh, because the browser sandbox is not giving you any APIs to permit that. Yeah, I'm sort of thinking like a, a .framework client profile for web would be that yeah. Yeah. sort of smaller subset. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And then you'd have to see how small you can make it. Yeah. I don't know how big you think the biggest practical web application could be. I think most people would agree that if it ended up being a 50 megabyte lump of JavaScript or WebAssembly, that would be beyond the realms of what anyone's got. But people probably would accept a few hundred kilobytes, yeah. maybe even at a push a megabyte. I don't know. It depends yeah. what your sort of target use case was for an mm. internet site. Then that's maybe not bad. It, it depends. I don't know. The demo that I did, I was able to get the whole thing down to about 300 kilobytes. That's, so That's cool. including the .NET runtime, the core libraries, and the application, and <laughs> and a whole copy of Bootstrap CSS, which <laughs> oh, wow. is like 100 kilobytes. By the way, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice if you could just sort of stub out the things that you don't want or stub in, you know, just sort of link the link the, the, the services that you do want. Yeah, that's right. Ideally, you'd have something where during development, we don't care how big it is. It might be megabytes right. because you just reference everything. And then when you go to actually publish your application, we run some sort of code stripping. Yeah, because yeah, the, the Angular framework is like a megabyte for the dev edition, but the, the actual shipping version is like 150K. It's, it's, it's substantially smaller. Yeah. yeah, it depends a lot with Angular on what parts of the library you're actually calling. Right. Because the ahead of time compilation for that will do the the tree shaking, which is the dead code elimination. And so the final size could be a megabyte if you reference everything. Well, probably not a whole megabyte because that's including, you know, the unminified stuff. But, you know, it can be, range from anything from, I think something like 50 kilobytes is the smallest theoretical minimum one. But it can be certainly 10 times that if you mm. are referencing everything. And right. then... You put it all on GitHub, right? I have put it on GitHub, yeah. So if anyone wants to try it out, they can download a Visual Studio extension that gives them a new project template that they can try, and then they can definitely have a go at writing their own .NET single-page application. And it's Blazor, B-L-A-Z-O-R, right? Yeah, it's meant to be a little play on Razor, which is <laughs> the application model, and Browser. Right. And then I just and had to put an LN to make it sound cooler. Well, and Blaze, you know? It's pretty hot. <laughs> hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. It's time to rethink my Blazor app that calls directly to a SQL server. Damn. 
<laughs> guys just rained on my parade. No, no, no. Don't connect directly to the SQL Server. <laughs> Who would means, do that? Uh, you give me Slammer virus, you know, nightmares. It's yeah, just, right. I get instant chills. Yeah, right. It's actually time to give away a D-Experience subscription from DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Check out the new DevExtreme React Grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like virtual DOM, state controllers like Redux and all that. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out and test it for free by getting it from GitHub. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Jeff Farney. Congratulations, hey. Jeff. Call clap for you, sir. Yes. And Jeff just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And now we like to ask our guests to, of course, Steve, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Okay, well, it depends on whether I can convince my wife or not, but I've I occasionally had this idea, which might be silly, but I would kind of like to be able to grow food, but I don't want to. That's crazy do it. talk. <laughs> no, okay. It comes from the grocery the thing store. Is, I, what I don't want is to do it in a really boring way with plant pots and soil and all that stuff. Definitely. I want to do it in a, you know, a high tech way. Right. Like every self respecting software developer. Hydroponic, would. aquaponics, something Absolutely, like that. Absolutely. That sort of thing. Yeah. So I've, I've been looking into this a little bit lately and I've been doing a bit of experimenting as well mm. with fairly mediocre results but i i would love it if i could set up some kind of big system of like the all the shelving and the, the piping and um you know all the systems to monitor the uh, ph levels and yeah the, the hip new ways called the vertical farm mm -hmm. yeah that's right but and I, I would imagine if you could you know fit out a significant portion of the indoor wall space of your house with that sort of thing yeah oh, that's i don't know that, that might be pushing it beyond the five thousand dollars level well, it depends but, on how sunny your your house is i suppose yeah, on the inside, it's not that sunny. <laughs> now, I think you'd have to put in some special lights, but yeah, the new LED grow lights are really cool. They are. And now you've got new robots to handle a bunch of stuff. So I would really want to go after like a fully automated vertical farm. Yeah, yeah it's either that or a, a media room. Hmm, what should I do? Maybe tomatoes. Yeah, one's more crunchy than the other. Yeah, that's right. That's very cool. I like that idea. And what what kind of fish would you use in the in the aquaponics part of it, <laughs> in the fish part? Yeah, good question. I don't know. Yeah. Whichever ones would my children want or, or the cat won't freak out about. Right. I, don't know. <laughs> I would go for the tastier ones. I don't know. Well, the, yeah. the ones that really tolerate well are the koi, and That's they're not thinking, tasty. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're not, not real good to eat, but they're good for the process. There are some that produce just the right amount of ammonia, blah, 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 that, that are 
that are yeah. good for it. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time we see the vertical farm contain systems, it, they're in like shipping containers, which right. is not exactly your house, but yeah. 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 I would want something that's more of a design feature than a, yeah. an industrial it's feature. Very, very cool. A kind and of green wall look. Yeah. I love right. it. That's a cool idea. Thinking uh, creatively there, Mr. Sanderson. So I got to tell you, I opened up the Blazor project and the first word I searched for was P invoke. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was just sort of hit me. It's like, what are you going to do with the ActiveX calls there, uh, Mr. Probably, Sanderson? You probably can't do anything with them, can you? Well, I've changed the meaning of P invoke. So <laughs> when you P invoke in a Blazor application, that allows your .NET code to call JavaScript because you know, <laughs> I love JavaScript that. is the platform. In it's J-Invoke. J-Invoke, yeah. Now yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, so if you um, have a JavaScript file with a certain name and you include that name in the p-invoke call, then that code will get run. And that means you no can kidding. call directly to JavaScript APIs from your C-sharp code. So you implemented this already? Yeah, I did because I wanted the cool demo and it wasn't as... A massive piece of work. I only had to do enough to make the demo work. Right. Uh, since, like I said, it's not a, a shipping product; it's an experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, it's yeah. really—it's just an interesting way to think because that's exactly what C Sharp and .NET was doing at the time, right? Most of our most of our existing code base was sitting in COM objects. So we needed to be able to get to it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't think that calling COM code would be a very useful use case for people building a client side app these days. Right. Uh, now, once upon a time, there was an ActiveX implementation for the browser. Com was love at one point. <laughs> now it's persona non grata. It's <laughs> 20 years. 20 yeah. years. Yeah. Holy man. I just love this example because I think a lot of people are struggling with the relevance of WebAssembly. Like, okay, yeah, why don't just make faster JavaScript parsers? But I, mm. this idea of bringing the polyglot to the browser to the client environment again i i really appreciate that that sentiment i think it's very compelling writing what you want works in the browser go yeah yeah and i look forward to the day when there's a, a wide range of languages and frameworks that you can use that way yeah yeah the big question to me and i think you dodged us right off right initially is connection to the dom mm. yeah well so like i said WebAssembly code cannot access the DOM directly. Right. Uh, it, it lives in a sort of isolated space, which actually comes with some really significant benefits. Right. Mm -hmm. One of them is that it, if you want to, you can easily spin up multiple worker threads and right. run WebAssembly in all of them. And you've got your uh, some level of application isolation that way. But also, it, it's just inevitable that as a low-level thing, it can't include uh, primitives for all possible types of JavaScript API. So it does need to go through JavaScript for that sort of thing. Right. The way that I've set it up in my demo is when you make a change to your user interface um, so that the Razor code has to regenerate the HTML, I've made a modified Razor compiler. Uh, you, know, you know, the regular Razor compiler produces a big string builder that produces mm -hmm. a string of HTML. Yeah. Well, that wouldn't be very good for performance if we were doing that on the client, because right. then what are you going to do with all that HTML? You can't just replace all the HTML with the page with it. That will throw away lots of important state as well as just performing terribly. So I modified the Razor compiler so that it produces a virtual DOM builder. So each time we 
uh, evaluate the state of your view, we get this virtual DOM structure. And then the JavaScript code, not the WebAssembly code, but rather the JavaScript part of the runtime can walk through that structure in memory to compare it with the actual DOM. And then it knows how to make very precise updates to the DOM uh, to reflect what changes have just come out of the Razor page. So it can perform really nicely. And it also sidesteps this problem that you can't access the DOM anyway from WebAssembly. Interesting. Yeah. So there is ways you're just going to have to hook into it differently. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You just have to account for that as part of the application model. But I think that if someone was building an application framework that works inside WebAssembly that compiles from .NET or, or something else, then that would be a feature of the framework. I don't think an application developer would really be worried about that because they would be using the APIs within their framework. Right. And so it just sort of speaks to the idea that WebAssembly philosophy is about computation rather than client rendering, that you just want to be, you have code in different languages that you can bring into the browser and, and work with, uh, even if you're not specifically rendering anything on the screen. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So you do have to go through these uh, additional layers of indirection in order to actually get to the outside world from WebAssembly, yeah. Sure. Where do you see this going? I mean, it's on GitHub. Have you had any pull requests already? Yeah, I've had a couple of pull requests, actually, which is nice to see. Um, I deliberately turned off the issue tracker on the GitHub repo because I didn't want people to think that they could send me feature requests and I would do it since I right. won. But right. I left open the ability to submit pull requests. I didn't really expect people necessarily would because, you know, it's quite a big barrier to make sense of someone else's code that they just wrote in a hurry and submit a useful pull request. But I, people actually have sent a few. Well, I see Dan Roth there. That guy's brilliant. So it doesn't surprise yeah. me at all. He's been wow. a contributor to ASP.NET for a long time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And um, someone else figured out some issues to do with the um, the way that I'd set up all the project references and stuff. I don't remember the details. But yeah, it's been nice to uh, see a few people get interested enough to submit that stuff. Uh, also, I've just had a lot of conversations with many, many people about this, both inside and outside Microsoft now. And there's mm. a lot of people who just really find this very compelling. I don't think yeah. that my current prototype itself is ever going to be extended into a complete shipping product. But the fact that it demonstrates that this stuff could be done, you know, that, that's got people excited and interested. And For sure. who knows what, what could come out of that. Well, yeah, this sort of leans over to the progressive web app side of things. When we think about like the new generation of web development. Mm-hmm. Well, WebAssembly isn't a requirement for PWA. The two kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah, they kind of do. Yeah, so the whole PWA, progressive web app kind of concept is, that's terminology that particularly Google developer evangelists are using. I don't know how much it's completely caught on with everyone else, but they're, they're talking about... Christian Hallman likes it. Yeah, okay, right. Well, he's mm -hmm. not at Google, so that's that's cool. So yeah, really, that just refers to a whole package of features that collectively give web applications the ability to do stuff that normally you need to be a native application to do, or it allows web applications to progress closer to closing that gap yeah. between web and, and native applications. And, and that includes a whole lot of features around, for example, being able to run uh, when the application is offline or being mm -hmm. able to receive notifications from a, a backend server, being able to take payments from a user, uh, all kinds of things like that. And these are, these are cool features and I'm glad that they're emerging and, you know, browser makers in general have certainly stepped up their game a lot compared with where things were four or five years ago when it took forever to get every single new feature. Now new features are coming out at a pretty enormous right yeah the, the the service worker concept which is i think i always think of as under the pwa umbrella 
once you throw in WebAssembly and you have that kind of compute power available to you, the service work is really compelling. Yeah, yeah. So service worker, it's the only way that your JavaScript code can run when your page is not running. Right. That's never been possible before. Before service workers, you could only have JavaScript running when the user was actually on your page. And when mm -hmm. they navigated away, uh, the browser would stop your code, whether you like it or not. But a service worker allows you to to not be subject to that limitation. It lets you register some JavaScript with the browser so that the browser can execute that code whenever the browser wants. And you could say, for example, uh, whenever there's a, a notification that's received from my backend server, then run this JavaScript code, even if the user isn't on the page at the time, then you could do stuff from there. Like you can work with local storage and fetch additional data from the backend, do various synchronization type tasks. That would be really nice. This is where all that toast stuff comes from these days, right? Every page you go to says, this page would like to give you notifications. Right. You're basically giving it permission <laughs> to run a service worker. Yeah. And the rates of ADD have gone way up in the last few years. <laughs> yeah. Well, the service workers themselves don't need permission to run. But when they ask for the ability to receive pull push notifications, that's what's triggering the browser to show you that notification. And right. if you say yes, then at that point, the browser will give a URL back to the application. And then the application can send that to its own backend server. And then later on, the backend server can post messages to that URL. And uh, that magically gets delivered into the browser by methods that the web developer doesn't need to know about. So yeah, that's the thing that it's asking permission for. But there will be other things that it has to ask permission for in the future as well. Sure. For example, as of today, the ability to do, run scheduled tasks is not implemented oh. in any browser, but it's a specified feature and hopefully it will be coming. But when you think about it, that comes with some fairly serious privacy and bandwidth implications. Like if arbitrary websites can just choose to run some code every five minutes, whether you like it or not, right. yeah. they can be tracking whether you're online, they can track what your IP address is right. and all right. that kind of stuff, serious privacy issues. So um, that will be an opt-in thing as well. When a browser tries to register a scheduled task, the browser is going to pop up a permissions dialog again. But JavaScript can do that now though, right? Well, JavaScript can do whatever it wants when the user's on your page. Right. But a service worker is running even when the user isn't on your page. Ah, difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, with service workers running, like you go, go pull up of a task manager, look at the detail view and see how many instances of Chrome or oh, Edge you've got running, right? I know. Yeah. That's, that's, that's those service workers back there just making sure they've got their thing, whatever they want to do, for better or worse. I, I mean, I love the idea of the browser becoming the smart client host, that it can handle being disconnected, that it can queue stuff up, that it's mm -hmm. just, you know, it's just, just taking the single page application or that, you know, real application model further. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And of course, the offline support there is probably the biggest headline feature. Mm -hmm. That's always been the primary differentiator between web apps and native apps. And there have been an efforts to, to enable it offline support for web apps in the past. We've had the, what was it called? HTML5 application cache manifest or something like that. The yeah. worst API ever invented. Everybody hates it. It does everything wrong. And <laughs> so it's just no matter what you do, you end up getting into a situation where you'll permanently brick your website and it can't be loaded on certain browsers. Mm. Yeah, it's not good. Anyway, service workers completely comes up with an entirely different model for enabling offline support, which does not suffer anywhere nearly as bad those problems so that's nice well and, I, and i've seen most pwa setups i've seen the handle offline they need to be online when it starts up but after that they're fairly tolerant of coming and going yeah that's right yeah obviously you have to be online to receive the application code in the first place right um, and that at that point the service worker can fetch and cache whatever resources it wants to and then the next time the user tries to go to that 
page, instead of making an HTTP request directly to the server like it normally would, it runs your JavaScript code to say, hey, I would like to fetch this particular resource from this URL. And then your JavaScript code can say, fine, get it from the internet if you want. Or you can say, hey, you don't need to ask the internet. I've already got it in the cache. And therefore, it doesn't matter whether you're online or offline. Uh, the request just completes anyway. This is pretty amazing. You see this more on the mobile side than just the regular desktop browser? Maybe that, from, in a lot of ways, the PWAs felt to me like this is a solution for getting away from mobile apps and not as important on the on the desktop. Yeah, I don't know, really. If you imagine that all desktop applications have a permanent high-speed internet connection and all web applications download fast enough that you don't have to think about the download process, right? then I suppose the offline support is irrelevant. Um, that's not always the case. But yeah, I guess mobile is the more compelling use case yeah. for that. And then it's still you get into the battle of size and efficiency. I mean, I'd be interested to see how well the whole WebAssembly stuff runs on a phone. Did right. You, did you test? Did you do your demo on a phone? Did you try that? I have. I can't remember whether I did or not. I I definitely tried it on IE eleven, right? Which is a you know moderately oldish browser, which certainly doesn't support uh, WebAssembly or recent sure. things. And considering that, and, and never will. Yeah, yeah, of course. And considering that it works absolutely fine there, I would be pretty surprised if it doesn't work on you know oh actually i did test it on an android browser oh, oh yeah now. not the are you saying the android browser or you mean chrome no no i just meant an android browser <laughs> the default one would have been chrome with the version yeah. i used right because once upon a time there was a horrible android browser <laughs> yeah and it, tell and, us uncle it, richard but it was one of those things where it's like remember <laughs> we used to test our web our websites against links right it's just yeah. like how well do you do, go down to, to lower level. Well, if you could make it run on the Android browser, well, you could do anything. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's also horrible. So, Steve, what's next in this? I mean, you, you, you have this unexpected response and you've got people wanting to keep it going. What, what are you going to do? Well, I am just talking to people, really. I want to uh, see if there is any scope for doing anything in this sort of area, uh, whether that's with Microsoft people or or if a uh, community outside uh, wants to pick up something like that, then that's cool. I would be really happy to to work with people. But mm. I would say, really, I don't know. I don't really have a very clear plan on that. <laughs> yeah. um, I just see what happens. wanted to make a cool demo and you know, show that you can do nice things with WebAssembly. And, um, and you certainly got everybody thinking. Yes, you did. Yeah. Thinking about what, what do we want to do here? I, I wonder if we're sitting on the kernel of a plethora of language coming to the browser. Like, that's just, to me, a very interesting state of being that I don't think a lot of people think about. We were just all getting more comfortable with a better and better version of JavaScript. Mm. Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, F-sharp, why not? Absolutely. Well, right. I haven't tried it, but it should be a fairly trivial thing to get F-sharp to run on the DNA runtime that I've already compiled to WebAssembly. It yeah. probably requires a, some different core library features, but apart from that, it should just work. That's one of the great things about .NET, actually, that made things really easy for me, because in .NET, the majority of the smart stuff happens during the compilation process. The actual right. runtime mm. doesn't have to be very sophisticated. Now, it might be sophisticated, because it might do some amazing JIT compilation tricks and incredible, efficient garbage collection or whatever, but it doesn't have to be. You could actually do those things in a simple way. Mm -hmm. But if you want to have advanced language features like the async await, or if you just go down the list of all the many, many C-sharp 7 features, these are all just stuff that happens at compile time. Mm. So the runtime doesn't even need to know about fancy async await stuff. That's just, all just disappears during the compilation process. Mm -hmm. So 
Uh, I found that even with this five or six year old DNA runtime, it just worked with C Sharp 7 features because why wouldn't that? You know, those are yeah. compile time things. Right. That doesn't make any difference. It's really interesting. Well, Mr. Sanderson, you've done it again. Thank you very much. It's uh, been great talking to you about this and minds are being blown. Cool. Well, thanks for trying. Been fun. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a